0: luxury quality within reach go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order quince.com slash style
1: hello this is the red box podcast i'm matt shorley and yes i'm running
2: let me tell you a story It's a story about a young boy, almost a lifetime ago. He grew up in a working class home, went to a state school, and through a combination of hard work and talent, he went on to be a huge success. That boy grew up to be Timmy Mallard. But that's not important right now. What is important is you making the right choice the right choice for you. You must choose this person with solemnity, not just for now, but for the future, and for the past, and for the present. The present is a gift, and you should never look a gift horse in the mouth, or approach any horse from behind. And in this horse race, so many people have thrown their hats and name and jockeys into the ring. But don't not choose the right person who's right for Britain. Britain, Great Britain, Great Britain and Northern Ireland. The Britain of fry-ups, even ones which have chips. The Britain of replacement bus services. The Britain of awkwardly smiling at someone in a sauna. Stonehenge the Somerset Shoe Museum. A seagull stealing an ice cream. Sunny delight. Sunsets. Sunrises. Some mothers do have them. Old people. Young people. M people. Pans people. Pots and pans. Pens and pencils. Filofaxes. X Factor. Factories. Tractors. Tractor factories. Tractors in fields of corn. Search fields for tractor porn. Do not be swayed by the left or by the right. What you need, what Britain needs, is someone who doesn't know his left from his right, but can write and is right. Who can bring you politics. Choose, choose life. life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Choose f-ing big
1: DAB radio, smart speaker or on the app. Choose Chorley. Choose Matt Chorley. Choose Matt Chorley on Times Radio for politics without the boys. That's what we're going to be doing. Right, coming up on today's episode, we convene CCHQ, Chorley Campaign Headquarters... We'll get the latest on the Runners and Riders with our Armchair Generals, Philip Webster and Eleanor Goodman. And then after that, a chat with Andrea Ledsom. She knows better than most how not to win a leadership contest. First though, as ever, on a Tuesday, we kick off with our columnist panel, and it's... Meet the Cerberus of columnists.
3: The Janus of journalism. And the ultimate political portmanteau of opinion. Finkelvich with Daniel Finkelstein and David
4: Aronovich on Times Radio
1: everyone's favourite time of a Tuesday morning. We're talking about getting elected. And real, both of you, both of you have been elected. Danny Danny, Danny, Finklestein's here morning. No, no, I've been, I haven't been elected. if you, I you have... stood for election, Yes, it's a I crucial, have. But
5: I'm I, I, I I definitely win in this competition because I was one of the directors of the 1997 conservative election campaign, and no one's beating me on that, are they? <laughs> I mean, for election defeats, you can ring in with all your defeats if you like or send texts and everything, but you've lost.
1: When 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 did you stand? Was that two
5: thousand and one? I stood in. I stood actually in nineteen eighty seven for the SDP. Oh, of course. Yeah. I've got a little. I was twenty three years old. I got a little letter at home from the Citizens Advice Bureau saying, "Dear Mister Finkelstein, it was so nice to meet you, comma and your mother." <laughs> So I didn't win that one. Um, I helped defeat Ken Livingston, though I would say I helped get um, the Conservatives get close to Ken Livingston by coming uh, a good third. But he still won. He still won. And then um, in, I also ran again in two, I ran in two thousand and one. Didn't win then either. But anyway, it's nice you're here, da- David.
1: <laughs> you 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 were uh, you triumphed in student politics, didn't you? I did. I actually stood in loads of elections right the way
3: up until I was uh, in my mid-twenties and won most of them as well. People used to say... Well, you only got one because you were the top of the ballot paper because your name begins with two A's and they call it the Aardvark vote, which, I, and, and then later, I, looked, I, always, I always denied this at the time. And then, but later studies show that there is actually such an advantage to people at the top of ballot papers. Not a huge one, but there definitely is an advantage there. So maybe I was only elected actually because of, because of the name. Um, uh, but isn't it ironic, really, that uh, Danny, having lost so many elections, now wields power in the land? but not having been elected to it. In the House of Lords, you mean? In the House of Lords.
5: Yeah. So do you, but in the Times.
3: <laughs> where, where, where do you think you have... Well, the harlot, the prerogative of the harlot through the ages. Where, where do you
1: think you have
5: more influence, Daddy, uh, in your column with in the Lords? Oh, my column, 100,000%. I mean, I learned that. I learned, I learned. in fact, if I want to make an impression on other members of the House of Lords, it's much better to write in the newspaper than it is to make a speech really? in the chamber. Definitely. And actually, that's appropriate. The House of Lords yeah. is a good revising chamber, but it's not. Uh, it doesn't. It's not like the elected chamber, and rightly so. Well, there we are. I'm glad we've sorted all of that out. I'll um, we'll keep your, your tales of,
1: uh, of where you stood for election or not uh, coming in. Let's turn our attention to all of the people currently trying to get elected. Um... There were still technically 12 of them in this contest, uh, Danny. How many do you think will be left by the
5: end of the week? Oh, um, probably three, maybe four. I, I, I think in the end, it's going the, the, the leader is either going to be Penny Morden, Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak.
1: What do you think, David? How how
5: can
3: I possibly gainsay that? I mean, the the electorate we're talking about is Tory MPs first and then Tory party members second. I don't understand Tory MPs, and I certainly don't understand the current Tory party membership in the country. So only an idiot would not defer to what Daniel Finkelstein just said. I mean, he knows what he's talking about, and I really, really don't. Um, All I can say is, um, in many ways, I don't particularly
1: care anymore. (laughs) <laughs> right, explain that. Why don't you care who the Prime Minister is?
3: Because I think that the Conservative Party by 2024 will have been power for 14 years, and whoever whichever one of them wins, I think they need to lose power um uh, now you may then say to me well which of them do i think is most likely to <laughs> um uh, win the conservatives power to which the answer is i really honestly don't know because they all face exactly the same problems as boris johnson did except with uh, theoretically none of his flaws but then of course they won't have his theoretically his advantages of extraordinary personability which we've all been told about over all this time either um and they still will have been powerful Fourteen years, and the record that they have presided over is not going to look that brilliant, is it? By twenty twenty-four, so that's really. I I think some of us really have to stand slightly, be not, not above the fray, but to the side of the fray, and
5: say, well, where's the country in all this? I think it's an appropriate position, actually, David, you're taking because one of the things I've noticed is people sort of... And they did this with Rory Stewart as well when when he was running for the leadership. He wasn't going to win the leadership. He didn't understand where, where the centre of gravity was in the Conservative Party. And it was quite appropriate for people to say the, the centre of gravity in the Conservative Party isn't their centre of gravity uh, and to therefore say none of them will suit me. Uh, but what's a mistake is to kind of project one's own... Uh, out external to the concerted body view as to who's likely to win uh, based on one's own, you know. W- so exactly. there are a lot of people who think Jeremy Hunt's going to win because they would personally prefer Jeremy Hunt to win, but that doesn't actually mean he's really that viable a candidate. Um, exactly. So, yeah, you know, as you know, David, I've sort of, particular take on uh, where the conservative body's been and i you know i'm certainly a liberal conservative and um ne- nearer the center um than many conservatives and i've got to adjust for that as well in trying to make a judgment so that i don't um so that my predictions are not overwhelmed by where my politics are so yeah but as you know the critical question now in deciding which
3: candidate you're going to support as far as i can tell is whether or not you think it ain't half hot Mum was racist So where do you stand on that, (laughs) Danny?
5: I do. I saw that row. I I,
1: I completely missed that Ralph.
5: What was the exact? I think Charles Moore is that where it's come from. But I I did. I actually, funnily enough, was reading Penny Warden's book over the weekend, and and it came up. and And I I read that that she she writes with a co author, and I think he's clearly written the cultural side of it. So the interesting thing about her book is it's relentlessly modernising text, Uh, and quite one of the things that's interesting about the Tory uh, leadership election is that you know, the three leading candidates. don't come from the traditional positions on the right, um, and probably the ones that do, Suella Braverman and Priti Patel, um, for example, are not going to do very going to do all that well. The right's going to have to congregate behind other candidate and Liz Truss is going to be that person because of where she's positioning herself, not as opposed to I think what her fundamental politics are. Um, so, so uh, you know, although obviously at a certain point it becomes hard to tell the difference if you if you make if you strike a pose, you end up that ends up being who you are Uh, but um penny Mordant, i think if she does make the last two which is certainly not impossible they'll become a it'll become obvious that she doesn't actually she isn't the right-wing candidate and that's obvious from reading her book um and uh this, this sort of throwaway line about it ain't half hot mum which i with which i do strongly agree with her um will become a problem with more traditionalist people who can't see she's right which is, her, I think it was a full house bingo card of casual racism, was the um, phrase that she and How used. Who can disagree with that? It yeah. surely is.
1: Yeah, that does seem to be uh, um, fair. So we, uh, just, just to bring you some breaking news, uh, um, Jacob Rees-Mogg and Nadine Doris have just come out of number 10 and backed Liz Truss to become the next Prime Minister. And then afterwards, Jacob Rees-Mogg has walked off and Nadine has gone back into number 10. Uh, so we'll, we'll bring you a, we'll bring you a clip of that in just a moment, Danny. It's interesting the point you were just making about Liz Truss and her politics because it is extraordinary. it was being told that she's going to be the candidate of the right, the former Lib Dem uh, Republican Cameroon Remainer Liz Truss is now the flag the flag
5: bearer for yeah. the Tory if you, right. If you want the be- one of the best speeches against Brexit, look up. Liz Truss's speech at the Food and Drinks Federation during the referendum campaign. I was actually there. Um, and um, those people who are used to the fact that Liz Truss doesn't speak very well when speaking from a script, and some of them have been a disaster, uh, will be will be surprised at how effective the speech is. But the content's pretty striking. Uh, it is, you know, as good a case against Brexit and why it wouldn't work as I've seen, right? Now i don't that's not a gotcha because we we've decided to leave and she's trying to adapt to that that's that's not a gotcha, but it is a description of her politics. you know look at one of the most enthusiastic people about Liz truss as a minister you'll find it was george osborne um so um that does it. I understand why Liz Truss is appealing to those people. There are two reasons. One is a genuine strand of her politics. She's always been a quite economically, a very economically liberal in a way that I sometimes think is unrealistic. And the other is, I'm afraid, a bit of a pose. Right? She has sort of posed a. Positioned herself so as to try, you know, after the Brexit referendum, as sort of more royalist than the the, than the king, and um, in order to overcome politically the disadvantage she felt she faced for having supported Remain. But whether that's a genuine strand of her politics, you know, it certainly, when I spoke to her when she was. Justice Secretary, she she told me how much she admired Roy Jenkins. That is a strand of a policy. I like that. I think that's. I think it's appropriate to be ad- admiring of some of his liberal reforms, not of everything that he stood for, but his liberal reforms. And uh, but it's not where I think she'd want to uh, to be considered now.
1: I think we can uh, now take a listen to that endorsement. It was pretty extraordinary, doing the endorsement with the Number Ten door behind you. But anyway, this is uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg and the Dean Doris speaking out to outside Number Ten in the last couple of minutes
5: always opposed to Rishi's higher taxes. That, again, is proper conservatism, and I think she's got the character to lead the party and the nation. Liz Truss is the best candidate. That's what we're working for. She's a proper Eurosceptic. she'll deliver for the voters, and she believes in low taxation. Thank
1: and she's you, a ladies. woman. <laughs> well, there we are. I mean, is, is that an endorsement that you'd want, David? Um, I was thinking, actually, that they must have been paid by Liz Truss's
3: opponents... I mean, it's just kind of... I mean, if I I was to say, what's not going to be kind of... Of course, I I caveated this before with my lack of understanding of Conservative MPs uh, compared with other people's and of the Conservative constituency. But nevertheless, these are two endorsements I desperately wouldn't want. Both these people are daft. Um, And they're obviously daft, and the voters think they're daft, by and large. Um, uh, And I don't know that a number of Conservative members, especially given what Danny just said won't also think that they're a bit daft, i.e. not entirely serious and not entirely to be taken seriously. So I just... So, in other words, Liz Truss is now the daft person's candidate.
5: Well, so what's good that, about that? I think that is guilty of the thing that I, we talked about earlier. No, the, the truth is that though both those people um, help to give Liz Truss something that she needs, which is um, a sort of stamp that she's really of the right when you know, we've, there are a lot of reasons to argue that she isn't. And then the other thing that helps her is simply it helps anybody who fights Rishi Sunak, which is Jacob Rees-Mogg pressing on this idea that Rishi Sunak increased taxes, um, which he obviously did due to spending increases of Boris Johnson's, uh, which which Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's one of Boris Johnson's great enthusiasts, and Nadine Doris, uh presumably thought would have to be paid for somehow anyway so it's, it's slightly uh, it is ironic i share your you know they, they they don't attract me to support a candidate but then they but they do attract some people and therefore they are they from liz Truss's point of view they're absolutely endorsements worth having both by the way against again not just for two reasons one is she's got to get to 20 and then 30 members um to get through to the second round she's got to see off Pretty patel and suella brabman in order to do that to be the leading candidate these are pretty helpful So I think that they're an important step forward for us. So, so,
3: so we're really so we're really talking around the margins because the question I would have wanted to ask is whether or not they won't put other people off either at this stage or on but other but stages. Say, they might. A I bit, might think about this, yeah. trust But if but if they like it, well then it's but, not but for me. And there are will. other candidates who are similar.
5: They will do, but they but they, they they probably won't do on the bit of the party that she wants to bring over. That uh, they 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 will do more outside the party than they will in it. Um, th- there's no question that in a. Leader Leadership election: Uh, the simple idea, the most right-wing candidate will definitely win. I don't think is correct. I always thought, even before Boris Johnson pulled out in 2016, that Theresa May stood a strong chance. David Cameron obviously beat David Davis, so it's not. And and actually, Boris Johnson, if you remove Brexit. Is, was not a right-wing
1: candidate. No, and indeed, indeed, as, I mean, his government has drifted that way a bit since. Because and it, of who and it's obvious that the,
5: the, it's obvious that the that there won't be that candidate in the last two, yeah. either. So, so you know, Jacob Rees-Mogg obviously realised that he and Bridget Patel and Suella Bradman, they couldn't put up, they couldn't themselves get through to the last round. Um, so they've had to go behind another candidate. It is valuable to her. You're right; it will put some people off. And ultimately, uh, actually, it's possible that. Um, She'll position herself; it won't look realistic, and Rishi will look more authentic. It, it a lot depends on who endorses him. I'm sure that he's got right wing endorsers, and he'll need to have those in order because there's quite a strong blast coming at him from the Daily Mail, uh, for example, which is trying to suggest, you know, as 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 both James Cleverly absurdly and. Um, and and also um, Jacob Rees-Mogg that he's a left wing chancellor. I mean, ironically, I, I really really like Rishi. I'm very admiring of him, but he is definitely more free market, more more low tax orientated than I am. It's my one reservation actually. Well, actually, the criticism of him is that he wouldn't splurge spending uh, unless it was being paid for. He wasn't
1: behaving like the, the normal criticism of the the criticism of him is that he wanted to balance the books.
5: Absolutely, oh, so that was God. the isu- that was the issue between him and Boris Johnson. Yeah. Yes.
3: Oh, I think I think this just shows you. I mean, and, and this is part of the problem: be, the sheer levels of unreality about this discussion. <laughs> and in a way, it's to be expected. We all know that first, in order to get to power, you have to have your party on your side. So you indulge the fantasies of party members on the one hand, and, and actually they have two electorates, MPs, and then uh, and the parliament, and then you have to turn to the country, and the country has a whole different set of preoccupations. They're not obsessed by the same things that the party is obsessed by. Famously in the case of Labour, where very many more people voted in the Corbyn election and so on, they voted for a complete fantasy of what uh, actually it was that they could uh, uh, achieve electorally. And unfortunately, Corbyn said, well, this is what I'm going to put before the country because, of course, he couldn't do anything else because that's all he was. That's all he'd been for years and years and years and years. Whereas, uh, I mean, there's a big argument against Keir Starmer by sections of the left, which is you, you promised us you were going to keep on with Corbyn policies when we didn't vote for you in the leadership election. So, but so actually, you're a liar and a cheat and so on. So, which you say, yeah, this is what people. That's do what politics, uh, that's politics. I do. Uh, well, that's what politics in that at that level is about. You you reassure the party and then
1: you get to a position to to face the country. I think that there's an is there a point, Danny, where there's a risk, and I'm not saying this is going to happen. But in order to gain all of this support, that Liz Truss is, has either ceded positions or at least ceded uh, platform to over the course of the of the longer campaign, she'll end up having to take positions which is not very. You know, is there a danger which she suddenly realizes it? She's the she's the nutters campaign. She's the nutters (laughs) candidate, or actually, you've just—she's basically now authorized the Dean Doris and Jacob Rees-Mogg to keep going out and making outlandish and occasionally stupid
5: stances, and she's now their candidate. Well, she is, yes, but don't do do not forget those people have got a base of support in the Conservative Party. Um, And, um, you know, whereas it might strike people, uh, you know, uh, it won't surprise Mm -hmm. listeners to know they're not exactly my uh, people, but, uh, you know, let's not make a mistake of analysis. They've got real support. Uh, Not Mm -hmm. only have they got real support in the Conservative Party, but they've got real support among Conservatives in the country as well, right? The the thing is, as David said, that they you know, I think more broadly they're ridiculous election losers. Um, And so I think she might have their support in the short run but regret it in the long run, yeah. For some reason, three candidates all launching at
1: 11 o'clock today. Uh, This is the (laughs) scene from uh, Rishi Sunak's uh, launch. Interestingly, he's going for the getting everyone to stand up around him approach uh, because um, that's the sort of thing that... uh, uh, people like he's got Restore the Trust, Rebuild the Economy, Reunite the Country, ready for uh on the backdrop. Uh, Kemi for Prime Minister uh, is uh, the backdrop for Kemi Paganock, with a little Union Jack as the dot on the I, which is rather nice. Uh, we're also keeping an eye on Tom Tugendhat, whose uh, launch is uh, coming uh, shortly. Uh, and uh, one of the things that we're probably keeping an eye out for, um, uh, Danny, and actually the thing that might slightly electrify a campaign, which so far has been a little bit lacklustre, is some of the people who haven't, you know, got very far on the endorsements front. It'd be quite exciting if one of them turned
5: up at one of these launches, wouldn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think this, the, the, I'm hearing that it's quite possible that Grant Chaps will come out and support um, Rishi. The, the advantage of him doing that is that he's been, he was one of Boris's organisers. So he would possibly help Rishi with the, you know, you stab Boris in the back um idea um I, i'm not sure that beyond that he carries a lot of weight as a right you know he's not thought <laughs> of as necessarily as being on that in the party that is as being on the right funny enough actually i've, I've found him quite an impressive minister <laughs> i know that <laughs> not not uh, and, and lots of people i think have agreed with that as a transport minister i just disagree with his uh, position on the prime minister uh, uh david I, I think you were laughing Oh, no, no, actually, yeah. I've heard
3: that Grant Shapps is supposed to be quite a good minister as well from uh, completely different sources, and given my reluctance to admit such things, I think that's uh, that says something. Uh, uh, whether or not his endorsement is worth anything, again, I completely... Uh, I mean, it's... The, the thing that I don't... I, I try to work out in this is the candidates who, are, who have obviously put themselves in, not because they expect to be leader, but because they think it will could possibly get them a big job when uh, the leader is elected. So they've got to decide the moment in which to get out of the race and then to, who to endorse. Um, it's, always a kind of, it's always a kind of interesting moment. And the question about whether or not their endorsement then in any way carries their supporters with them, I'd have thought mostly they just don't. You know, Once they're out, their their supporters will just go where they will. They won't kind of say, oh, Kemi Badenoch says back... You know, whoever it is, Liz trust, or I'm going to do it. Rather than Rishi Sunak, I don't think they're going to do that. So it, it, would, um, it would be yeah. so
5: it's not it's not numbers really. It's just sort of. I mean, you're quite right. So F- Kemi Badnock's not going to win the leadership of the Conservative Party, but she's clearly made a lot of progress yeah. in re- in raising her um, profile. And you know, th- that was obviously what she tried to do, and it's been very successful.
1: And actually, is there a point? I don't, I can't really remember if anyone's done this before, but could we see mid-August Rishi Sunak announces? Kemi Badenoch will be Home Secretary, Tom Tugendhat's Foreign Secretary, Grant Shapps is Chancellor, say. And that actually starts or transport lo- secretary. Or still ta- Surely he wants something better than that by now. And actually that starts looking like quite a formidable team while Liz Truss is out
5: doing visits with Nadine Doris and, and Jacob Rees mogg Yeah, he could try to do that. I mean some of the people might he prime minister in waiting, reluctant to do that. Um, it, or because you know, if you give away the positions that you do, uh, you do, might have promised them to somebody. Yeah, else. And, uh, yeah, and 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 then and then you've also got to accommodate the other side of you know, if you come somebody comes second, you've got to accommodate them. I so think it's yeah, particularly probably a particularly yeah, yeah. wise thing to do, but you could try and assemble a good team. Yeah,
1: Daniel Finkelstein and David I Ivanovic there, and of course you can read them both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to the thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's CCHQ.
0: How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment.
1: You're listening to the Redbox Podcast. Now it's time for this. CCHQ, Shorley Campaign Headquarters. Yes, bringing you all the news you need to know about the race to be Tory leader. And of course, Prime Minister, that's why it is so important. It is a busy old morning. Uh, (laughs) For some reason, three of them have decided to launch simultaneously. Kemi Badenoch is running as uh, a Kemi for Prime Minister. Uh, Tom Tugendhat is running uh, yes, for, as a clean start. And uh, right now, you can hear in the background, no secret this about is Dominic Raab, the Deputy Prime Minister, backing Rishi other, Sunak. A referendum to break up this great United Kingdom of ours. That threat is real, and we will face it in just two years' time. So there's no time to learn on the job. We've all got to come together. We've got to unite to win. And I mean that right through the party,
5: from our brilliant local councillors, the amazing grassroots... That's, that's, we've uh, that's Dominic the people Raab the of
1: the speaking today, at the launch for uh, Rishi Sunak. There's also talk, as uh, Danny Finkelstein was saying just a moment ago, that Grant Shapps has been spotted at the Rishi Sunak launch as well. Uh, he's got eight people backing him for the leadership. So if he turns up uh, today, it suggests he's probably not even going to put his uh, name in. I think we can dip into Kemi Badanoch's launch.
6: speech a new maiden speech by the newly elected member for Saffron Walden. Now, two weeks prior to that, I'd done my own maiden speech. Ten minutes, no notes, plenty of jokes. I thought I'd nailed it, Well, uh, or at least survived. But Kemi had no intention of just surviving. She turned up with a plan. And once she got through the social niceties that go with making a maiden speech, she settled into the rhythm of making a compelling case for effective government.
1: She cited the often... That's, uh, that's a launch for uh, coming batting I'm not sure if Tom Tuganhurst has actually got underway yet, has it? No, no, we'll bring you that uh, when, as and when we can. So let's, let's, we're in CCHQ, surely Campaign Headquarters, casting an eye over all of this uh, with our, our two armchair generals, our wise, our wise grey beards, if, if that's not too impolite. Uh, Philip Webster, former political editor of The Times. Morning, Phil. Morning. Uh, Eleanor Goodman, uh, former political of Channel 4 News. Morning, Eleanor. Good morning. No grey beard. No grey beard. No grey beard. But wise, wise heads is what we need That's right fine. now. Keeping I these, like it. Keeping these things in, in, in perspective. Uh, having started the morning with uh, just 11 candidates, well, that might be whittled down quite a lot, Eleanor, even by the end of today.
6: Yeah, well, I think Grant Shapps probably has seen the writing on the wall. Um, I suspect the guy who entered yesterday, whose name I've barely learnt, he will obviously have learnt...
1: Raymond Shisty, the pub quiz Schisty. question that we're all going to he, recall.
6: Yeah, I think he's just sort of was waving, saying, hello, look at me, and nobody has looked at him, so he will go. Um maybe some on the right will go, but I somehow doubt it. I mean, clearly Liz Truss wants to become the unchallenged candidate on the right for fear of fragmenting the right's vote. And it's helpful to her that by the looks of it, Jacob Rees-Mogg isn't going in. And I wonder, I shouldn't think Nadim will. And the big question obviously is Pretty Patel, but there are some suggestions she's made up her mind not to. Because the worry I think for the right is not so much whether their candidates get the nominations necessary to um, go into the next round. It's whether they can get be sure of getting thirty votes to stay in after that, and that's where it all becomes much less predictable. And it's obviously not good news for Liz Truss that you, when you look at this Conservative Home Page uh, survey, there's been this morning that it looks as if the party members in voting for top for Penny Mordaunt and then for Kemi, Kenny Badenoch and then Suella Bannerman at fourth, it looks as if they're looking for a clean skin.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, somebody who has a, I mean, That's the thing, isn't it? About... Those
6: three candidates on the right are unlikely to, to pull out at this stage to back someone who could be argued to have rather a wrinkly skin in this context. <laughs>
1: (laughs) Liz Truss has been uh, uh, the longest continuously serving uh, cabinet minister, uh, more than anyone else. She's been there for longer than anyone else. Grant Shapps has tweeted, Huge thanks to my team for helping to pull together my leadership bid in literally no time. Amongst a field of brilliant candidates, I've spoken to Rishi Sunak, who who, uh, I believe has the competence and experience to lead this country. So Grant Shapps is uh, pulling out of the race. That, That takes eight of his backers out as well. Rishi Sunak, uh, is uh, um, uh, gets his backing, Dominic Raab backing, which is in that too. So I think we can dip into Tom Tugendhat's uh, launch.
6: UK, backing Britain on the world stage as we forge ahead. This is Ammary in the International the Trade, Trade Secretary, introducing to Tom make Tugendhat? Brexit the springboard to the UK success that I campaigned for. Second, his bravery in making difficult decisions that will need to be taken, <laughs> tackling the cost of living, sorting out NHS backlogs, primary care, and growing our economy.
1: Uh, so Third that is, uh, is Anne-Marie Trevelyan Gen- introducing uh, Tom Tugendhat's uh, speech. Uh, Phil, um, th- what do you make of what is happening right now? If, if you feel is, is it wrong to characterise it as purely Rishi Sunak against a another and the right wing of the Tory party is trying to work out who that should be?
4: Yeah, I mean, Rishi Sunak is now the establishment. Candidate. It's quite obvious that that's the case. You've got the former chancellors coming in and saying the rest are going completely mad in uh, promising tax cuts. Um, I hope you remember that I told you naught votes for um, Grant Shapps yesterday. That is true. That is very true. Um, So the the predictions are working sometimes. But he is the establishment candidate. Now, as we know, Nadine Doris and Jacob Rees Mogg have come out for Liz Truss. Is that necessarily a great bit of news for Liz Truss? I mean, she, that portrays her even more as the continuity candidate, the Boris Johnson continuity candidate, and I'm not sure any of the others would have wanted Jacob Rees-Mogg and Nadine Doris, with all due, due respect to them, backing their campaign. So we'll see. Truss, of course, uh, is, has to be sort of more right-wing than the rest because she, you know, inconveniently for her, she did vote Remain in 2016 and campaigned for Remain, and people do remember that. And that will be put against her by other right-wingers as this battle goes on, whether I think Pretty Patel has dawdled for... Quite too too long now. I can't see her suddenly emerging. Um, but the hard right, the very hard right from the European Research Group, the Steve Bakers, they're very hard behind Suella Braverman, who's taken the hardest possible line on the Northern Ireland Protocol, uh, which again is a touchstone um, for the Brexiteers. Um, we, as Eleanor says, we are very unclear at the moment who will be uh, the right wing candidate against Sunak if Sunak gets to the last two. And I still don't say that's a certainty uh, because we may well have seen most of his supporters out there. I don't know. Clearly, the uh, support in the grassroots uh, for Kimi Badenoch and for Penny Mordant is is something that has to be taken into account. I think quite a lot of the Liberal-wing Tories will, in the end, swing behind Penny Mordant. So we'll see, uh, as we we were talking yesterday, whether Mordaunt and Sunak are fighting for that one post to go up against the right-wing candidate.
6: I'm just slightly pushing the case for Tom Tugendhat, who I didn't think had a chance because of his history on on, uh, Brexit. But against that, this poll this morning suggests that people want a clean skin. Yeah. And he does offer a clean skin... And uh, a degree of experience. And he's he, okay, he, he's, he could attract some of those establishment people. I think he's got, got most of the select committee chairman already. I think he's rated within the commons. And we know Liz Tr- Truss's problem is that she's not rated by a lot of P- Conservative MPs who fi- find her slightly puzzling.
1: Uh, I thought, it's an extraordinary situation we're in where being, having been in the cabinet and doing a big job might actually prove to be a negative rather than a positive, which isn't always uh, normally the case. Lovely to speak to you both. I'm glad your predictions so far are holding. So that was my chat with Philip Webster and Eleanor Goodman. Up next, who is up, who is down, and who never got going? One person who knows their way around a leadership contest is Andrea Leadsom. She's shocked even herself when she got to the final two in 2016 against Theresa May, but struggled to get off the ground in 2019. Well, this week she published her memoirs, Snakes and Ladders, which explains why, far from being like a game of chess, politics is a game which involves a lot of ups and downs. I caught up with her in our office in Parliament and she took me back to another hot July day six years ago.
7: I have, however, concluded that the interests of our country are best served by the immediate appointment of a strong and well-supported Prime Minister. I am therefore withdrawing from the leadership election... And I wish Theresa May the very greatest success. I assure her of my full support. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much.
1: Andrew Ledson. today we're speaking is exactly six years since you pulled out of a toy leadership contest. Yeah. As we sit here, nobody has yet pulled out of this toy leadership contest. There <laughs> there's no-one better to provide helpful advice to uh, those people in a, in a, in a leadership contest Take us back six years and you found yourself just in a swirl of a leadership contest which you hadn't really planned to join. You actually were trying to organise your... Husband's birthday.
7: (laughs) That's right. Yeah, it was his 50th birthday and we'd had for weeks this plan to have this wonderful weekend in the Derby Dales. It was going to be so chill. And there I was suddenly. uh, Yeah, I mean, just the shock of David Cameron resigning. Um, I mean, call me naive. Plenty of people have. But um, I didn't think he would. He'd said he wouldn't. He said whatever the people decided, he would lead. And then the next thing we know, he's gonzo. And so that was just like, whoa, what do we do now? And so my first instinct was, well, then it needs to be Boris. You know, I'll I'll back Boris. And uh, when I was on this lovely weekend, walking up Mamtor, striding in the hills, um, chatting to friends and family who, by the way, were... Probably about 52, 48 in favour of leave (laughs) and remain. So I was dealing with the angst of very old friends who were like, How dare you do that? Whereas the sort of jubilation of others. But at the same time, I was getting calls from people saying, So will you stand? Will you back Boris? Will you back me? And it was just surreal. And here we are again.
1: Everyone says every Prime Minister thinks, every MP thinks they should be Prime Minister. Is that the case? At what point did you go from having been? Yeah, middle-ranking minister, played a high-profile role in the referendum. At what point do you go from, well, I'm getting a lot of phone calls, to, do you know what, actually I think I could? And is that the sort of point of madness as well, if you actually start believing that?
7: Yeah. Not madness, no, but I would genuinely... Hold that every single MP wants to make the world a better place. And there is something about when you've been an MP for a while and you realise, actually, it's really hard to do things. And in some ways, being a backbencher with a mission, a single mission... Gives you a real chance to do it. So, in my book, as I talk about the early years, you know, I've really managed to nail that, but from the back benches. But if you become a junior minister, you soon realize, you know, your your Secretary of State determines what you do, and then they can't really decide because that's Cabinet, and Cabinet can't really decide because it's the Treasury. So, actually, you do start to think, well, maybe the only way to do this is to actually do the top job yourself. But certainly back in 2016, it was about standing up and being counted. Um, You know, as I write in the book, the totem moment for me was on the night that uh, David Dimbleby called it for um, leave and it was about three or four o'clock in the morning and I was just about to go on air being mic'd up by this young woman in her black t-shirt and black trousers and she leant down and said to me I voted leave because of your performance in the Wembley debate you won't let us down will you and I was like uh no Oh, uh, definitely not. So it was just kind of ringing in my ears. And so it, was, it wasn't so much, yes, I could be prime minister, as I need to stand and be counted. I need to make this happen.
1: You made it happen. You need to sort of take responsibility. Exactly, enough. yeah. Boris has fallen over there. And Michael Gove's yeah. fallen over there. And then somebody needs to do it. Yeah. And then, um, and this is obviously a thing that some people are going through right now, if they were generally caught on the hot with what happened with Boris Johnson last week. How do you get a leadership campaign off the ground in the space of a few days? What are the key elements?
7: (laughs) Yeah, well, actually, uh, the one thing is that lots of colleagues immediately flock to you um, if you're a a sort of an insurgent coming in from, from the outside. And that is amazing. But obviously, that also has its own challenges because everybody's wanting to number one, control you, dare I say, literally control you in some cases. Others are so desperate to help that they keep bothering you and you're just like, no, leave me alone, please. I'm, you're killing me with kindness. And then, of course, the emails flood in from members of the public, from donors, from people who want to organise your campaign, who want you to go on air, write an op-ed, etc. It's so overwhelming. So actually, you know, my first tip to anyone who even contemplates this is don't just do it from a standing start you know my my great colleague will rag who sort of stuck to my side religiously during the 2016 um, leadership campaign as he put it for us it was like trying to build a jet engine whilst you're taxiing along the runway and he was so right it really was One of the uh, totemic moments was getting a call from a very senior civil servant in the Cabinet Office saying, So, Mrs. Leadsom, if you become Prime Minister, what will be your day one policies? And I was like... Oh my gosh, yes. And that really, when you're you're right up there and you've, in effect, you've said, I'm going to get Brexit done, and you haven't really thought about what the rest of your manifesto might be, and you're a Conservative, and it's a Conservative government, and someone asks you that question, what do you answer? But yeah, so the little voice was saying, Theresa's been in Cabinet, she's done it for years, she knows what she's doing. But really importantly, I can't stress how important it was in my decision, was that Theresa had the overwhelming support of the Conservative Party. Party. And not only that, but if you think back, the vast majority were Remainers, and they were absolutely spitting blood about the vote. And many were saying, if Leadsom wins, we'll resign the whip. And so for me, the kind of final straw was when I'd heard I was in the last two. And I called Graham Brady. In fact, he called me to tell me I was in the final two. And I said to him, "Okay, well, that's fantastic. I'm so excited. What happens now? And he said, well, there's going to be a nine-week campaign. And I was like, well, we can't have a nine-week campaign. Sterling's dropping. The stock markets are jittering. You know, we can't possibly do that to the country. And and Graham sort of said, well, that's what the outgoing prime minister wants. And, you know, at the time, there was a lot of talk that he wanted to attend the G20 or something. And I tell in the book how uh, he'd sort of said... me that his daughter didn't want to leave her bedroom at number 10 and I was like yeah my daughter same age as yours doesn't really want to leave her bedroom either but them's the breaks you know <laughs> these things happen but yeah so I mean all of those things conspired to make me think well actually if we can't have a short campaign it's just not in the country's interest for me to carry on regardless when really the weight of support was with Teresa. Um, we
1: should talk about the role of the times and all of this because you, you went to a Milton T- Keynes coffee shop a Costa yes. Coffee and sat down with Rachel Sylvester from the Times yeah on your own
7: yes <laughs> absolutely shattered and very reluctant to do it but I'd been persuaded that this was going to be a soft fluffy get to know you and interview. actually you talk
1: in the book about how some people are telling you take a day off you're yes you're frazzled yes but your media people say no you've got to do these interviews it's very important exactly. you give a good interview to the Times
7: yeah yeah.
1: And you got into a conversation about the fact that you were a mother and therefore that became contrasted to Theresa May.
7: Genuinely, I feel being a mum means you have a very real stake in the future of our country, a tangible stake. You know, I she possibly has nieces, nephews, you know, lots of people, but I have children.
1: And that actually, again, you talk in the book about, in a quite honest way, it just showed... I don't know what the word, like naivety, I suppose, about you are running for the highest office in the land and you probably shouldn't go to a coffee shop with Rachel Sylvester on your own in those circumstances.
7: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, it was just lack of experience and that is on me. You know, I mean, it was completely ridiculous to look back on. I think Patrick McLaughlin, who was the old chief whip, said at the time that uh, he didn't think it was malign. It was just unbelievably Inexperienced, that uh, resulted in that interview. And basically, what was happening was I was explaining to that journalist, who shall not be named by me anyway, um, what it was that I didn't want her to write. And therefore, I was sort of assuming that she wouldn't write it because I'd asked her not to. But of course, since it was an on-the-record interview, you yeah. don't get to having set the terms of the interview; you don't then get to change them I'm halfway through. Them and that—that that was the problem. That is totally on me. You know, it was ridiculous and to not take anyone else along and to not even record it. It's good you can laugh about it now. Totally right. It took me a long time to laugh about it, I must say. So
1: that's what happened in 2016.
7: I have, however, concluded that the interests of our country are best served by the immediate appointment of a strong and well supported Prime Minister. I am therefore withdrawing from the leadership election and I wish Theresa May the very greatest success. I assure her of my full support. <laughs> Thank you very much.
1: You then took the decision to stand down. Theresa May becomes Prime Minister to deliver Brexit, you hoped, because she had all the support from her colleagues. Indeed. It didn't quite pan out like that. No. Let's fast forward then to 2019. Having learnt all those lessons, you, you basically had the right campaign, but it was just the wrong time.
7: Exactly. I mean, it was a brilliant campaign, though I say so myself. In fact, I've sort of handed all of my lessons to my chosen, preferred prime minister. And, um, uh, yeah, it was a good campaign. We so spent what you, a year you, on it.
1: What did you learn for the first time? That you, 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 What do you need yeah what's your top tip under you're, your backing Penny, Penny Mortar. what have
7: you told her you must do this yeah so number one is preparation don't leave it to the last minute don't be an insurgent and think you can come from the back and actually win uh, that's number one. Uh, number so how's, two, Pe- has Penny been preparing this for months? She has. She she is very well prepared. I yeah. mean, I'm not to sort of uh, provide information on what she's been up to, but she's she has she is very well prepared and extremely well supported. Um, also, I mean, t- top tip number two, which I didn't need to give Penny, is don't just be a junior minister. And of course, Penny has been in cabinet. She was uh, Secretary of State for Defence. She was the first female Defence Secretary. And then I think the third thing is you do need a team of people around you who you empower. What you can't do is to be a micromanager mm. and in many ways I think that that is perhaps the biggest point for anyone looking to PM is you have to trust those around you so you have to choose them very carefully and we've seen in spades with this uh, last few months what happens if you choose people you can't rely on. In the book you
1: talked about how preparing for 2019 you could see where the wind was blowing to May and you had to start getting a team together and think about what you're going to do even writing a launch speech said so you'd even chosen the music you were going to play. Yes. What was the music?
7: Oh, it was fantastic. It was that Jason Mraz song about um I want, I, want oh, I want you to have it all. I want
2: you to have it all. I want you to have it
0: all. I want you to have it all. I want you to have it.
7: Well, it's just a lovely upbeat song. And it still sticks in my head actually, so hence being able to record it. Oh, and, and the spreadsheet yeah.
1: is so important.
7: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. My uh My fantastic chief of staff, whose ears will be burning if he overhears (laughs) us, Um, he is Mr Spreadsheet and having the intel on not just what your own supporters are going to do, but what everyone else's supporters are going to do, who they might back if their their candidate falls at the first hurdle, and so on and so on. And that intelligence is incredibly important. In fact, I remember in 2019, after that sort of absolute tragedy of, of, of losing in the first round, um, my chief of staff Luke was asked by Grant Shaps who was running Boris's campaign can I have your database oh really <laughs> and i think you gave it to him yeah. i'm sure you gave it to him anyway so yeah very very helpful to boris but i mean that that all of that stuff is very important and but you don't know that until you've done it you don't know it till you've done it that's exactly and one right. of the things he
1: talked about even you know even in 2019 was it because you were in the cabinet under trees mate right almost until the very last and you you were loyal to her. You you weren't ringing around getting endorsements. And actually what you found that by the time you did, lots of other people had committed elsewhere. So yeah. people, as we sit here right now, people try to rustle up a campaign now have left it too late.
7: And that is exactly right. So I was preparing my campaign, but I was determined to remain loyal to Theresa. So by the time um, she'd said she was going to stand down after that confidence vote that she in fact won... But she set the timetable, so I rang her and said, I would like you to know that when you do stand down, I will put myself forward. And uh, she did actually say to me I was the only person who did her the courtesy of letting her know.
1: Let me ask you about being in being friends with Theresa May, because but not just friends in politics generally. You write in the book, if you want to go all the way to the top, you have to be totally single-minded about it. You can't let courtesy get in the way. You have to have both a campaign plan and the support of at least 20 colleagues, which I think is interesting given the number that are around. But you talk quite a lot in the book about how, in the end, nobody's your friend in a leadership campaign. Yeah.
7: I mean, honestly, that above all else, that is the one thing I would say to anyone standing, is it is a very lonely place. And actually, it's completely understandable, because if you want to... Lead the greatest country on earth, then you have to be single-minded. And if you as an MP want to do what's right for your country, then the fact that, you know, you and I are mates and we went and had a beer together, blah, 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 there is no way I'm going to let you make me vote for what you want because it's too important. So, so yeah, I think standing for the leader is a very lonely job.
1: One of the things we've had so many messages on the show about texts and tweets and everything... Is people saying that anyone who stayed in Boris Johnson's government over the last few months is tainted? That if you went along with Owen Paterson and parties and Chris Pincher, that you you can't then put yourself forward. What's the what's the what's the argument for why Penny Morden, integrity and background and service and all of that, didn't say I cannot associate with this anymore?
7: Yeah, I mean it's, it is an absolutely understandable and honorable question to be asking and the answer is quite plain and simple that some people need to stay in government to keep the show on the road and actually the job that penny was doing was (laughs) creating the brexit dividend so the work she's been doing has been to negotiate free trade deals with individual states in the united states of america will be massively to the benefit of the UK economy. And we can only do that because we're outside of the EU. So I actually think there's a very honourable reason why some people did stay in the Cabinet in spite of everything.
1: You you wrote about, talking about uh, July 2019, Boris Johnson was elected to leave the Conservative Party, became Prime Minister the following day. I was as confident as as I could be that he would both deliver Brexit and make a fine Prime Minister. Yeah. Do you think he was a fine Prime Minister?
7: I mean I think he has a good legacy but unfortunately it is now massively tainted which is why I would like to see him you know going with good grace at this point I think you you'd know, like him to go
1: now rather than
7: I I I feel he should he should go sooner rather than later because I genuinely think He got Brexit done. He delivered a huge majority over Labour, which for me as a Conservative, that was life-changing. It's given us a proper opportunity at a Conservative government acting in the interests of everyone in the nation. He presided over the protection of millions of jobs during Covid and this extraordinary vaccine rollout that enabled us to come out of lockdowns earlier than anybody else. And of course, the the big thing for me is he gave me the chance to do my passion which is giving every baby the best start for life and he saw it through and then of course the uh, support for Ukraine in the mm. face of Russian aggression so there are a lot of things he can be proud of but I do think he needs to go soon in order to to, to sort of keep on to that and what we'll
1: have still have the campaign but what we'll have Dominic Raab hold the fort in the meantime
7: well that's what I would have done I mean that is his shout and I'm, I'm not going to get into public rows over that but if I were him I would be thinking I have a very good track record and it's been recently mudded let's now walk away with head high
1: when i was down in uh, portcullis house a minute ago having a coffee some people were talking they thought that actually what might happen is what happened in 2016 they'll get down to the final two pressure will mount whoever's the number two will pull out and there'll be a coronation again having been there and done that do you think that that might happen that actually the urgency for getting a prime minister in place might mean that it doesn't go out to the membership
7: I I would say absolutely not. (laughs) and I'm afraid that is the legacy of me withdrawing from the final two. I mean, you know, you you don't know at the time what the future will hold, but I know that from the party's point of view, they learnt that lesson the hard way.
1: Uh, Two more questions before um, I wrap up. As we're sitting here right now, I'm not even sure the House of Commons is yet sitting because water's been pouring through the ceiling. As someone who uh, has been uh, a long-standing critic of the progress it made in uh, doing something about Parliament. How concerned are you about the state, never mind the state of politics, literally the state of the building?
7: Yeah I mean the ultimate irony is we have a debate about this tomorrow afternoon. Um, yeah I mean when I was leader of the Commons one of my big projects was getting a bill through that committed to restoring this Palace of Westminster now it's a world UNESCO heritage site so those who say oh go and work in a you know in an office block in Milton Keynes well suits me it's just up the road but actually that would be ridiculous we are under an international obligation to restore this place regardless, and so, regardless MPC, yeah. yeah. so if we, if we built another House of Commons we'd have to pay money for that and restore this place anyway. So restoring this place is by far and away the only option that we have. And in order to do it at the best value to the taxpayer, we flipping well have to move out. And it is ridiculous how many Brexiteers have become Remainers when it comes to the topic of whether we decant from here to let them get on with the work more cheaply or whether we stay here. And then we have water pouring into the chamber. We had an asbestos release. So we've got something like 200, members of staff who are going to have to be checked for cancer for the next 40 years we've had something like 40 fire events, any one of which could have led to a Notre Dame style catastrophic fire, we've got such ancient sewage down in the basement and well you can can leave that to your imagination (laughs) Matt, but we could be out of here in short order and bottom line is we'd have nowhere to go what would be the answer at the moment, there's a very temporary solution if we were out of here permanently we don't have a contingency, so in my view View. if we decant to richmond house which is within the secure perimeter we could at least have a contingency arrangement in the event of some sort of future mm. fire or disaster it is bonkers what we're doing is that clear i think that is pretty clear. thank you matt last, i'm so glad you gave me the chance to last
1: see that. question what were you most pleased about, Britain leaving the EU or John Burko leaving, leaving the Speaker's chair?
7: <laughs> Definitely Britain leaving the EU, without any shadow of a doubt. I mean, John Burko, it just became, like, endless. I mean, unbelievable, but He was endless. appalling
1: to you, wasn't he?
7: He was extraordinary, yeah, uh, literally extraordinary. His appalling chairmanship... Um, really hampered our ability to function as a government. It it was that serious. I mean, I would have people saying to me, he won't call me to speak, and he is so rude to me that... If I did speak, I'd be terrified that he would come out with something utterly demeaning and I would just be humiliated. I mean, how awful is that? Although Um, I have to say,
1: that day when you called him out for calling you a stupid woman was one of the most spectacular things (laughs) I've ever seen in the House of Commons.
7: Mr Speaker, I would just like to ask, um, after your um, finding there, that individuals who are found to have... Made unwelcome remarks should apologise. Why it is that when an opposition member found that you had called me a stupid woman, you did not apologise in this chamber. No, 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 no. no. That's the no. Yeah, there was great pleasure I in that. <laughs> yes. um,
1: so, um, uh, what was it, just over six years since the Leadsom for Leader march, one of my favourite moments ever in British politics.
4: What do we want?
3: Yes.
1: Um, are you organising a Mordant for Leader march up the, up the embankment?
7: Well, it doesn't have the same ring,
1: no, does it? Need, yeah.
7: Yeah. I think PM for PM is quite good, PM though. for
1: PM is quite it good. It's
7: very good. I mean, you, on the one hand, you could say she was born to rule. On the other <laughs> hand, you could say it's um, extremely good PR. I mean, I, I think Penny is uh, going to do very, very well in this campaign. And there is no way I would be suggesting some sort of rallying cry, even if we did a march, which we won't.
1: Andrew Ledsom, it's so good to speak to you. Snakes and Ladders, it's such a good read. You're, it's it's so many actually lots of political books are not particularly honest about you know it's a lot of rewriting history, and you're very honest, so it's it's a great read. Snakes and Ladders is, is out now. Andrew Ledsom, thank you for your time on Times Radio.
7: Thank you very much, Matt. That's so all we've got time for on this episode
1: of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, ten till one on Times Radio, and we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from?